This is Inspiring Women, and I am extremely excited to be speaking with Mikkel Terry Ellis today. She is an award-winning journalist. She has dedicated her journalistic career to focusing on issues at the intersection of race and politics, health equity, and the advancement of women in color. She's currently the senior writer of Race and Equality at CNN. She has a history in terms of her journalistic career at U.S. Today and other organizations. I want to spend just a second to talk about Nikkel's background because I think her coverage is exceptional. At US, USA Today, she led the newspaper's coverage on the deaths of uh, Ahmed Aubrey, George Floyd, the coverage on Black Lives Matter. For CNN, she led the coverage in Roe v. Wade, the overturn and the particular impact for Black and Brown women. Her stories have shed light on missing people of color. She led the coverage in terms of exposing the Detroit water crisis. She has won many awards for bringing light and voice to the voiceless. Nikkel, I'm honored to be speaking with you today. Thank you so much for being on Inspiring Women. Thank you for having me. I am honored to be here. Well, let's dive in. There's a lot to cover, you know, as we were briefly talking about before. I feel like we were at a moment in time. These issues of shedding light, the voice for the voiceless, which I think is such a wonderful tagline for your incredible coverage, is um, something that for someone like me makes complete sense. Yet we're in this moment of time where there's, I would just say, a new backlash that perhaps you saw coming. I certainly didn't. But I want to talk about that before we get into your award-winning coverage and the um, issues you focus on. Tell me a bit about you, Nikkel. How did you get into to journalism? How did you get to focus on these issues? Maybe a little bit of the bio sketch. Yes. So I discovered my passion for journalism at a very young age. I was in high school. I was the staff writer and then editor-in-chief for my high school newspaper. So literally, uh, you know, we were writing about uh, protests over school dress code policies. And I did a column in 2005 over the government's response to Hurricane Katrina um, so I think it just started then just having a passion just for different issues and just being extremely curious about what, what was happening around me and just wanting to elevate those voices for the people who were um, either impacted or a, a part of these different movements and different causes. And so I think from there, I just sort of took that passion and went on to college at Michigan State University where I studied journalism and then did several internships in the field and just um, my love and passion for this field of work just only continued to grow and just become deeper. And so I just went on to uh, pursue a career um, in journalism, um, just being a reporter, being a, a writer for various newspapers and covering different issues from local government to covering um, you know, marginalized communities covering crime, covering, um, you know, state government as well, county government, covering education, I mean, everything you think. I mean, I think I've covered pretty much every newsroom beat, and I think it just sort of came down to the coverage that uh, mattered the most to me, especially as, you know, a Black woman living in America and just those lived experiences. 
and you know those around me seeing what they were experiencing just made me um, really want to zero in and cover issues of race and inequality. And I think, um, as you mentioned, being at USA Today and covering all that happened in 2020 with George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery and this uh, racial awakening, this racial uprising that happened that year, uh, there were just so many stories to tell. And that's kind of what led me from, uh, you know, from covering those issues at USA Today to now uh, working for CNN and being the senior writer on the race and equality team, being the face, being the voice for the network's race coverage. Um, I'm very passionate about it, and I'm just happy to see my work being on a platform like CNN. It's just been um, an amazing three years, I must say. Well, it's an amazing platform, and certainly CNN has been a leader in terms of you know covering um, these topics. At the same time, the world of journalism has changed a lot during the time of your career. And when you're talking about some of these issues, that passion for journalism that you just shared, is it um, has it become harder? to be a journalist over time? Is your passion for journalism that you're clearly telling us, you know, is it still there? Have you doubled down to like that perspective? My passion is still the same. My passion, my uh, belief in journalism, my drive to do this work has not changed. If anything, it's gotten stronger. Honestly, I think that the backlash, especially towards, uh, you know, DEI or, you know, towards, covering black history in the classroom, backlash towards, you know, uh, you know, things that have created from what I can see equality in America um, has made me want to be in this field even more because this this is, I mean, what what better time to be covering these stories? Someone has to do it. I strongly believe that this is my calling and that this is what I was born to do is to be a voice for the voiceless. And I think it's important to um, to cover those voices, those those different perspectives, those different views, these people who are um, the ones who are on both sides of a lot of these issues um, to elevate those voices in those conversations so that we can all come together and, and, and talk about what all this means for the country, what all this means for, you know, our lives, our, you know, our, our, our workplaces, our schools. I mean, just what it means in general, I think it's important that to be talking about these things, because I think the whole idea is, is to advance as a people and as a country. And I think part of that is covering these issues and covering the issues, the solutions and the people who are at the forefront of the movement. Well, um, that is so encouraging and inspiring to hear. Um, I certainly agree with you and that you just continue to have passion and more of it, you know, as you continue to coverage these things um, is, is heartening, uh, quite frankly, because I know the job is really hard. I want to talk about some of your coverage, um, and it is vast. I talked about a bit of it in the uh, beginning as we opened, but let's talk about um, maybe women in the workplace, okay? So Black women women in the workplace. And I started inspiring women because of my own um, just uh, distress over the fact that women were not just um, not progressing as fast as they should in the workplace, but actually taking steps backwards. You've done quite considerable reporting um, about this for Black women in particular. Maybe you could talk a little bit about that. The glass cliff is something that you've coined in terms of issues that are out there. Yeah, so I did write about the glass cliff last year. I think, as I mentioned earlier, 
as a black woman, a lot of times I'm reporting through the lens of my own lived experiences and the experiences of those even around me, my friends, my, you know, my family members, those women who I work with, those women who I care deeply about. And a lot of times those conversations that I'm having with those in those circles are kind of what leads me to writing about issues like this. So I have friends that have worked in leadership positions at different companies who were um, actually hired around 2020 at the height of the racial, uh, the, the racial reckoning, reckoning in the U.S., and, um, you know, they, they took these jobs, uh, whether it was in DEI or just, you know, a, a job that was brought, that was uh, created, um, you know, to, to, to help with some of the diversity issues that these different companies were facing. And I noticed that they were going into these jobs and everyone was just so stressed out after like six months on the job. And I'm like, what is, like, what is happening? Like, you know, you're, you know, you were hired at a time where there was so much, um, you know, a uh, commitment, even excitement around, you know, mm-hmm. wanting to tackle diversity, equity, and inclusion and wanting to hire more Black women in leadership roles. And then all of a sudden you get Black women in these jobs and they are just overwhelmed, burning out, stressed out. And so I think I, I was having a, a chat with my old editor, who was also a Black woman, about this term called the glass cliff that she had read about. I said, oh, this is actually, like, there's the, there's a whole like research project about women who are hired, you know, to to come in and basically clean up a mess, at, at, you know, at a company at a time of, um, you know, chaos. They're brought in, but they aren't giving this given the support and resources that they need to actually successfully uh, do the job. They're not given um, the the, the, the they need money. They need um, you, you need staff members. You need you know, um, you know, support from different teams around you and they just simply were not- and, go- and goal alignment. It's not just that one person's job to fix something that has been inherent in an organization for so many years. Um, a friend of mine that I, you know, uh, consulted with in, you know, in, in advance of, of being able to talk to you also wanted me to ask you about the intersectionality of being both a woman as a leader, as well as a black woman, that it's not just, um, it's not just more uh, complicated. It actually is sort of like greater expectations needing to be perfect. Um, can you talk about that? Yeah, I mean, I think Black women come into this world with two strikes against them. I mean, period. You're Black and you're a woman. So you have to deal with racism and then also people who are sexist or misogynist in the workplace. I mean, you're dealing with all types of different issues. You're dealing with microaggressions. You're dealing with having to be twice as good as your white counterparts because people view um, Black people, Black women, um, as as those who have to work harder to actually earn their, their keep and improve their worth. And I don't think that my, you know, I have worked with uh, very closely with my, you know, white colleagues who do not have the same experience that I've had or even my friends have had in corporate America. Um, it's 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 hard. Um, it it can be draining. It can be depressing. I know women who have had to go to therapy um, just from you know, what they've experienced in corporate America. I mean, it's a whole thing. The women who are in my story have those, they have those uh, narratives. They have those, they, they talk about, you know, being put in jobs and, 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 and burning out because, you know, what, what was, you know, what they thought, it, what they wanted from them was more than what they could, you know, could, what they could really give. 
um, you know, it's, it's, it's actually, you know, unfortunate to see, but it's the reality that we're living in. Yeah. So, and, and I appreciate it. And I am one of these people who likes to like, look for the positive and look for, um, you know, the opportunity and solutions. But I think that just like laying out what is, is really important right now. So I want to actually ask you about, um, you know, I was one of those people during the, when there was all this new investment in diversity, equity, and inclusivity, hiring chief diverse DEI officers, um, was excited about the opportunity for great change, yet it appears that there is enormous backlash going on. These are the first positions that are being cut in um, companies. And um, I would say perhaps I'm um, naive and not being prepared for this backlash. What What is going on? Yes, it's become a very divisive issue. Uh, a lot of experts that we've talked to have definitely said that this is part of what they call the culture war right now that's happening, that's ongoing in the U.S. right now. In the story that I wrote that published in CNN this past Sunday, we talked about how a lot of wealthy corporate leaders such as Elon Musk had been um, you know, making posts on social media where they suggested that DEI was racist um, toward white people, that it was racist yeah. toward yeah. white men, um, because it, from how he views it, gives white men a disadvantage when it comes to getting certain jobs because of companies trying to eat, to trying to to meet rather different DEI benchmarks. Mm -hmm. And so he's been kind of tweeting uh, quite a bit about this for the last week, as well as um, Bill Ackman has made some comments. The founder of Lululemon has made some comments about DEI being unnecessary. And so we talked about that in our story, but we kind of wanted to um, provide the nuance and context that, that the issue actually uh, deserves. And that's that people who work in the DEI field feel very differently. They feel that this criticism is unfair and that DEI is largely misunderstood, and then it's being unfairly weaponized by these by these critics. They go back to the, the entire reason that DEI was created. Um, you know, they, they, it was created um, and designed to to create a more inclusive workspace um, where people of different religions, races, sexual orientations, and genders feel welcome and they feel included in the workplace. Um, and they wanted to ensure they also had a fair shot at getting getting these jobs as well. So that means, you know, at times going to HBCUs maybe to recruit students, then you can get a more diverse staff. Things like that is what DEI is responsible for. And I think that they feel as though the critics are kind of missing, missing that in this, you know, what they're saying, you know, on, online and on social media right now. Well, those stories that you're talking about, when you talk about sort of like the culture wars that are going on and perhaps misinformation that is uh, that is being spread without the appreciation for the nuance, the degree of like why these initiatives um, went in place. So as you, you know, do your reporting and you know these issues elicit like, you know, quick jabs, low blows, all, all of that in terms of, you know, the types of comments 
comments or tweets or loud voices with very, very prominent, um, you know, men that are out there that have platforms. Um, what do you suggest? What do you suggest? So you're doing the reporting to expose this, but what? how do you ex uh, suggest for a person who aligns with understanding of DEI is enormously supportive of the efforts that are being um, intended to be made with putting focus on DEI efforts? How does the average citizen talk about these in ways that sort of like deals with what is just a lot of emotion um, out there, you know, a lot of around the kitchen tables kind of arguments, I would say. It's very heated. I would just say do your research. I mean, read, I mean, we, we've covered it, we've covered it at CNN, other outlets have covered it. Um, it's been, it's been, you know, there's research out there about DEI and uh, the benefits. And there was actually uh, some research that came out this past week that that was saying that a large portion of, of corporate CEOs still very much do support DEI initiatives. And I think, you know, uh, that's important to also note that this is not everyone in corporate America, not every CEO is, you know, out here saying that DEI is, you know, racist. There are very much so many corporate leaders who do still embrace it, thankfully, and do still um, support DEI initiatives. So it's not, um, it's not all, not all the same viewpoints, but I, I think I would just encourage um, people to just do that research, to get out there and, and, and you know, and, and fully understand what it is fully understand who it benefits and fully, you know, understand um, why it exists. And then you form your own opinions. I mean, I'm, I'm a very, uh, you know, uh, believer and supporter in the fact that we all have different opinions and different, that we, we view things differently. I think that's what makes us, you know, uh, just, just a wonderful, diverse country and just a diverse world in general. So we're all different. Um, yeah. But I think it's important to, I think my, my big thing is to, if you're going to take, to take a position or an opinion, make sure that it's based on facts and research and that you've done your research. Yep. And I think that, you know, what we see is sort of like these um, big platform voices sort of like igniting a lot of emotion. But yet there is also research to support that voter sentiment. As an example, let me just take the issue of teaching black history in schools, which has received a lot of attention. There's clear voter sentiment to continue and do more of it versus, you know, what are some of the polarizing opinions to pull it out of um, schools. Maybe, um, Nikel, if I can just like bring this back to um, your reporting and sort of like, you know, what's happening in journalism as we as you report on solutions and barriers um, that are out there, what what do you think some of the solutions are to advance the efforts of again, I'm going to just use your tagline giving voice to the voiceless. Mm -hmm. Um. That's a good question. I think that as far as solutions, I think I think I kind of touched on that before, where I think that uh, part of the solution is one um, being being aware and doing your research. And like I said, doing a lot of reading and understanding the issues and, you know, finding out, um, you know, what, what all of this means and what's behind this whole um, effort to 
to disband DEI, this whole this whole culture war against uh, you know Black history in, in our schools that's happening right now. This whole culture war against um, the LGBTQ plus community. I think it's important to to be to be informed, to be informed about you know the laws that are in place. I mean, there's a lot happening right now. I did a story earlier this year about um, you know the laws that are uh, being passed in different states against gender affirming care for LGBTQ plus youth, um, where those who are trans youth who are wanting to make that transition and get you know the healthcare that they need, they're unable to in certain states. So some families are having to to relocate. They're having to move their whole families across the country to get care for their kids who want um, to, uh, you know, uh, to, to make that transition um, as a trans youth. And so I think it's important um, just to understand what, what's happening around you and just to, um, you know, understand that there are different views and um, you know, everyone feels differently, lives differently, and just be respectful of that. I think that's the important part is just to be respectful. Well, I think also the doing the research, um, you know, comment in terms of advice that you would give um, to people, you know, one place to do the research is certainly reading your most excellent um, reporting. I'll say, I'll say that, you know, Nikel, I want to actually bring um, the conversation back to you um, because, you know, as you are a passionate journalist, you know, focused on um, these issues, you also mentioned, you know, what it means to be a leader, a black woman leader in DEI having um interviewed many women in those positions. There's burnout. There's um, a lot of expectation. It's exhausting. So my question to you, given that this is your passionate pursuit and it's hard, um, how do you keep your energy up? How do you keep your optimism up? What keeps you going? So I think what what keeps me going is is realizing all the people who are depending on me to, to find out the truth and to tell the truth, whether that's my readers, whether it's viewers, whether it's, um, you know, other Black women who are also pursuing or wanting to pursue careers in journalism, whether it's my friends, my family. I have a daughter, I have a two-year-old daughter who is looking, looking to me, who will, you know, one day grow up and see all these, read all these articles that I'm writing and see all these, these TV appearances and just say, wow, like, you know, my mom really was out there being a voice. This is amazing. I want to do this too. I want to be someone who speaks out um, and, you know, wants to become a leader as well. So I just think about all the people who are, um, you know, looking at me and looking up to me. And I think that's what sort of wakes me, you know, I guess, force, you know, drives me to want to wake up in the morning and, and just keep doing this work and keep at it. Uh, I think it's also um, important to find balance too, work-life balance. So when I'm not working, I have learned that sometimes it's okay to unplug. The weekends get here, I might unplug. I might not watch CNN, even though I do work there. I may, I may need some time to just decompress and do some things that make me happy. We call that self-care. We, we're calling that the soft girl era in 2024, where we as women are taking that time away from uh, from work and everything else to just sort of um, unplug and recharge. So whether that's spending time with my family, my daughter, my husband, going out to dinner, going to get my nails and my hair done, going to the spa, it's just good to just have that balance because yes, I, you know, enjoy telling stories and being a journalist, but I'm also a human too. 
Mm -hmm. So I want to keep that in mind. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, that's great. And so, you know, Nikhil, maybe if I could just ask one more question. You know, typically, you know, women are um, and Black women are not really excellent at telling their best stories. So I'm wondering if, you know, for you, all of the amazing work that you've already done in your professional career, can you maybe highlight one of the things that you are most proud of so far? As far as stories are concerned, as to any any professional highlight you wanna you wanna give to the audience. So okay, so I I have two things. I think one is not really a story, but it was more so a decision. I had been uh, living in Michigan for almost my entire life, and when I was about twenty four years old, I was still you know, kind of not really happy at where I was in my career and I was looking for a job and I wanted, I knew that I wanted to be a, a news reporter. And, um, but I think I had just, I had been kind of grappling with the idea of leaving home and moving away from Michigan where all my friends and family were. So I took a leap of faith and I moved to New Jersey where I did not know a soul, like literally no friends, no family, no one. Um, moved there for a job at the Asbury Park Press um, in 2012. And it was a great opportunity working for um, a great company, a great newsroom. And uh, it was right, I was living right there off the beach, the Jersey Shore. So that was awesome being close to the beach, but it was definitely difficult. It was a difficult decision to make, but I did. And I think sometimes, I guess my, my message there is sometimes you may have to get out of your comfort zone and get, get a little bit uncomfortable, I think, to get where you want to be in your career and in life. Because I think the best things um, in life sometimes don't come from comfort zones. You have to be willing, we be willing to take that risk. Um, I think as far as stories are concerned, I think um, a couple of years ago, I took on a project on the maternal health crisis facing Black moms. And I myself was pregnant at the time with my daughter. And so I think it was just, I was just in this space where, um, you know, again, here I am as a black woman having a baby in America where there's a crisis facing black women. Um, so that was a little, a, a little uh, nerve wracking for me, but I channeled that. I channeled that anxiety by uh, writing about it and um, sort of becoming a voice and doing this big project where we interviewed different lawmakers, different women, different moms, different uh, activists who were um, kind of out looking for solutions to the crisis. We did it. We did it uh, an audio interactive project for CNN in 2021 that actually won a, an award from NABJ, um, you know, for for the project. So I think that was one. Um, you know, example of me uh, being really proud of, of doing that work and kind of being on the front lines, being, you know, and being able to tell that story. Well, Nicola, I can, all I can say is, you know, having read your reporting and um, seeing your reporting, um, I am such a fan. Um, like I said, it is such an honor to be speaking to you. And I just want to do um, everything I can to just continue to encourage you to have the stamina, the energy, and um, everything that you're bringing to the job, bringing voice to the voiceless. This has been an amazing, inspiring women conversation. I've been speaking with Nikhil, Terry Ellis, and Nikel, thank you so very much. Thank you for having me. 
This has been an episode of Inspiring Women with Lori McGraw. Please subscribe, rate, and review. We are produced by Kate Cruz at Executive Podcast Solutions. More episodes can be found on inspiringwomen.show. I am Lori McGraw, and thank you for listening.